0: Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world, well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like I love you, no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. No well, promises, a lot. But it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears pain the loneliness the surrender it's exhausting even when you try to do love right love fails i have made a mess out of love what good is it It can't help me why love it all why do i even try to love why sacrifice to carry the burden why 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 do we love what's the point There's a story. It's a young man from New York City, and he was on vacation. So he went to the country because he wanted to hunt, so he went hunting. And he was all excited. He got a duck. He saw where it landed, so he was running over there. I'm going to get my duck. And as he was about to climb up this fence to get on the other side to get his duck, pickup truck pulls up alongside him. A gentleman gets out of the truck. Excuse me, sir. What do you think you're doing? Young man says, "Well, you see, I shot this duck, and it's right there. So I'm just going to go get it." Gentleman from the truck says, "I know you ain't." Young man says, "Well, what do you mean? It's my duck. I can go get it." The other gentleman says, "Uh "Uh-uh. That's not how we do things here." Says, "There's a three-kick rule." So the young man says, "Okay, what's that mean?" The other gentleman says, "Well, I get to kick you three times, and if you can get up, you get to kick me three times. Then you can have your duck." The young man thinks, "Well, okay, yeah, I can take this guy from New York. I can do okay. All right, fine." He says, "Let's do it." So the other gentleman says all right but I go first okay sure sure so he goes up he kicks the young guy in the shins while the young guy bends over the other guy kicks him in the face knocks him to the ground and while he's down he kicks him in the ribs young guy from New York he's a little shaken up Whoa, okay takes a few minutes stands back up all right okay my turn the other gentleman laughs As huh? says, you know, you can have the duck. <laughs> Isn't life kind of like that? Yeah. People just come along just to use you, just take advantage of you, just kind of kick you in the shins, kick you in the face, kick you while you're down. So what do we do with that? Because we all experience difficult people in our lives that's just we're human that's just the way it is and you know who those difficult people are going to be they're the ones when you see their little phone number on your caller id you think oh do i have to answer that okay i'll get it later let them leave a voicemail they're the ones that you spend time with and then you leave and you're exhausted you're completely drained Sometimes your conversations with difficult people, a little awkward, just kind of maybe not real. Then maybe you're at the grocery store and you see that difficult person across the way. Oh, I'm going to go this way. You purposely go the other way. And then sometimes they're the people that you have a whole imaginary conversation go on in your head about all the things you want to say but you never really say it. They're kind of like sandpaper. Because if you're far away, they're okay. But if you get too close, they're going to rub you the wrong way and it's going to hurt. Now, we don't like to have difficult people just wiped away from us. Lord, do we really need difficult people? Can we just remove them all? And God would say, sure, but then you'd cease to be here too. Because chances are, You're someone's difficult person, too. Mm, ah, That hurts, doesn't it? But there is a reason why God puts difficult people in our path. They are there for a reason. Moses had Pharaoh. Elijah had Jezebel. Esther had Haman. Jacob had Laban. David had Saul. Joseph had his own brothers. John the Baptist had Herod. And even Jesus had Judas. Now, God loves you. We know that. We know that He wants to shape us and transform us to be more like Christ. So He's going to send us the difficult people. Because remember, sandpaper is designed to smooth out the rough edges, it's designed to rub out the impurities in the wood. And that's what difficult people do for us. If you want to get stronger physically, what do you do? You exercise, you lift weights. If you want to strengthen your ability to love, God's going to send you the sandpaper people. Not because they create your character, but they reveal it. And they show you where your weaknesses are. And then God can get to work. See, you need to work in this area. And that's why we have difficult people. But don't worry. He always gives us instructions. So open up your Bibles to Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, Paul starts right out with love must be sincere. Don't pretend to love others. Don't put on that warm, friendly smile And then think nasty things about them on the inside. Don't fake it. You might be able to fool the sandpaper in your life, but you're not fooling God, and that's who we need to be concerned with. Because when we put on a veneer of niceness and of pleasantness, God still sees what's here. He still sees the judgments we have. He still sees the prejudices inside us. Don't forget, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas his Jesus and a sign of brotherly love the disciples saw that it was a deception but Jesus knew what was in his heart that goes for us too we can do all kinds of things and be phony about it but he still sees it so how do we even start to show love to others and be sincere about it when we really don't like them what do we do see We have to go back to verse 1 in chapter 12. This is how Paul says it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Our motivation for responding in love to the sandpaper people in our lives is all about our response to God's work in our life. The way we respond to others is just a reflection of our relationship with Jesus. See, Jesus didn't go to the cross for us because we were lovely. He didn't go to the cross for us because we were worthy. He went to the cross to make us attractive. And sometimes we forget that. Paul's saying, remember what God has done for you. So the next time that you're dealing with sandpaper, whether it's at work or at the grocery store or or even here at church, pray this prayer. Lord, I was so much more unattractive to you than this person is to me. And you died for me. Lord, you were tortured for me. And yet, all I'm asked to do is give my time, my effort, to this person. The second part of that verse 1, Paul says that we need to make ourselves living sacrifices. A sacrifice in the Old Testament was a dead animal that was being burned on the altar. The animal, at that point, was totally consumed by the fire in an act of worship to the Father. So when Paul's telling us to be living sacrifices, that means that we are supposed to be totally consumed by passion and acts of worship to him. That's our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions. Paul even clarifies it more in verse 2. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. See, as the ones that are living sacrifices, we need to recognize that all we do, all we think about is a reflection on God and what he's done for us. When we are responding to others in acts of love, in acts of service, it's an act of worship for him. It isn't about us. It's about the difficult sandpaper that we're dealing with. It's wholly 100% about God and us sharing his love with them through our actions. That's our starting point. From there, the genuineness, the sincerity just flows. Because if you don't have that right relationship with Jesus, you can't be the living sacrifice. And if you haven't offered yourself as a living sacrifice to God, you can't honor him. And how are you going to put others above you? We're to honor others before ourselves. How can we do that? If we have an inflated, inflated view of ourselves, we're not going to be able to do it. We'll have phony love, displaying niceness to those we don't like. Or maybe it'll be sporadic love, so then we're only showing love to those that we do like. You're only fooling yourself. You're not fooling God. Christian love is supposed to be the most unbiased thing in this world. The knowledge of our own sin, the knowledge of our acceptance before a holy God should just wipe out any prejudice that we have about others. It should destroy any pride that we have within ourselves. It should destroy any idea that we deserve something special or different from somebody else because we need to know where we stand before a holy God. We're on the same playing field as everybody else. So how do we, how do, we do this? What does it look like? What does the biblical definition of love really look like? Starting back in verse 10, Paul says that real Christian love is committed. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. When the road gets bumpy, they stick it out. Worldly love can be hot one day, cold and indifferent the next. But Christian love perseveres through the tough stuff. Second part of verse 10 also says to Delight in honoring each other. Real love puts others first. When we honor something, we're treating it as valuable and precious. The last thing we want to do when someone hurts us or annoys us is honor them. And that's where we have to go back to God. We have to remember that every one of us, everyone here, everyone beyond those walls, is made in the image of God. Every human is designed to bear a resemblance to the creator. Every single person is infinitely precious and important and needs to be treated that way. Even the ones that annoy us, even the ones that hurt us. When we're unkind, when we're passing judgment, when we insult others, and hurt back we're doing those things to God remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew twenty-five forty: whatever you do to the least of these you do to me he wasn't talking about just the good stuff you do he's talking about the bad stuff too when we hurt others we're hurting him when we honor each other it means we listen We're aware of someone else's hopes. We're aware of their joys. We're even aware of their fears. It's just being considerate. It doesn't make you inferior to someone else. That's not what honoring is. Paul tells us in verse 3, Don't think of yourselves as better than you really are, but be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure yourself by God's standard and you'll see that we're all equal. The difficult person, that sandpaper person in your life has as much value and purpose as you do. We don't like to think of it that way. We'd much rather dehumanize them. It makes us feel better. When we call them names and we say, "Oh, stupid. That person is just stupid. That person is such a jerk." When we name-call, we're just doing it to build ourselves up. By dehumanizing them, we can feel better about calling them names. When we label them, we give them reasons why we don't have to respect them. We give them reasons why we don't have to offer kindness or our love. But when we see them as fellow humans as people made in the image of God, as people with souls like us that God died for. Then we're forced to look inside ourselves. And sometimes we don't see what we like. Don't forget where God found you. You're just as nasty, just as despicable, and just as unlovable as those that are annoying you. The same sinful nature that makes the difficult people in your life difficult, is the same sinful nature that's in every one of us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet, despite our unloving acts towards others, despite our displays of rudeness, God displayed his love for us, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the difficult And hurtful people in our life too. Even if they don't realize it. The next thing that real Christian love is, it's not self-centered. When Paul says in verse 16, do not be proud, do not be conceited. He's just restating what he said in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. The very essence of Christian love is to focus on the needs of others. We need to value others. we got to remember who we are before God. It reminds us of why we do what we do. We respond in kindness and love because it's our job to build others up to encourage them so they'll see a glimpse of God's glory in us. We have to learn to take the me out of the center of our universe and put others before ourselves. Don't forget, Jesus knelt down and still washed Judas's feet, even though he knew what Judas was about to do. Jesus hung on the cross for those that nailed him to it died for them too as we move further in Paul's verses verse 11 says we should never lack in zeal in serving the Lord because real Christian love is always looking for ways to express itself it's always actively seeking ways of revealing itself all the time verse 12 tells us that real Christian love is patient. It says to be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Paul tells us to hold on to our hope, the hope that we have in Jesus. We're to be patient through our trials and then cover it all up with prayer. We know that being in relationships is hard work, and sometimes it stinks, sometimes it hurts. Man, does it require a whole lot of patience in prayer. We go back to God again, just as God was patient with us. Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's why we're patient with the difficult people in our lives, so they too will come to know Jesus. There are going to be times in our dealings with people where our kindness isn't responded to. It may feel like we're filling up a glass just one drop at a time, waiting for it to get to the top, so it just overflows with love and grace and mercy. That day'll come. It takes patience. Just as God is patient with us in our failings, in our shortcomings. You have to offer that same patience to others. C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says, The only way to be sure not to have your heart broken, don't give it to anyone. Seems logical. But the foundation of the Christian life is all about relationship. You can't be a follower of Christ and run from people at every opportunity. They just they don't coexist. Jesus' entire ministry was built upon relationships. And he dealt with a lot of difficult people. But he always dealt with them with love and patience. This needs to give us hope in our relationships. That's why we hold on to the hope we have in Jesus. We know that he already has the victory. In any trial, any difficult relationship, we know he's already got it solved. We just have to pray and be patient through it. Paul also tells us that real love is a combination of feelings and action. In verse 15, Paul tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Real love isn't just sentimentality. It's not just emotion. It's about meeting the needs of others. It's about stopping and seeking others out. It's about... Really taking the time to understand the inner world of another person in ways that we can connect our griefs and our joys to those of others. Sometimes people just need an ear that'll listen. Sometimes they just need to know that someone cares. Maybe they just need a shoulder to lean on and cry. And the gospel enables us to do just that. We can share in other people's highs and lows. Because when Christ is our source of joy, we're able to be sincere in our rejoicing with others. And if our fulfillment is in other areas of Christ, then we're going to be bitter about their blessings. We'll be resentment. We'll have resentment about their blessings. But if our joy is in Christ, we're sharing with them and theirs. When Christ is the source of our peace... We're able to mourn with others. But if we don't have that peace of Christ sustaining us, how can we hold others up? It's just not possible. The saying goes that hurting people hurt, and healed people heal. As the followers of Christ, as those who've been healed and redeemed, it's our responsibility to bring that same healing to the relationships we have with others. Now, up to this point, Paul has told us about sacrificial love. Now he begins to talk about the real tough stuff. The love that can only take place with the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So let's go back to chapter 12. We'll start in verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads but don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. When you fight with evil, to evil, evil to evil, evil is always going to win. We can only defeat defeat evil same way God did, with good, with love. But we don't like that. That's That goes against our nature. Sometimes just feels good to pay back evil. just makes us, oh, I got them back. Sometimes that just feels good. Our egos like to have problems. Our egos like conflict. Hollywood is an entire industry based on the concept of good and evil and revenge. Some of the best movies are all about the revenge of one against another. But Paul takes it and he ups the ante even more. It's not enough that we just not pay back evil. He says we have to pursue peace. Pursue peace and live in harmony. See, when we've been wronged, it's real easy to just avoid the whole situation. We settle in with, okay, I won't pay them back. I'll just avoid them. She goes her way, I go my way. Don't fool yourself. Your avoidance is a form of payback. It comes from a place of pride and thinking of yourself better than the other person. It's using evil to fight evil. Avoidance will never overcome evil, it just feeds it. Ladies, maybe you can help me here. When I get into a disagreement with my husband, one of the first things I do is I don't say a word. I don't say a word. He'll, are you okay? I'm fine. Did I say something wrong? No, I'm fine. That's payback. That's payback. That's paying back evil for evil. Don't do the silent treatment. It's not good. And, you know, before I move on to the next point, you know what? Our spouses, they can be our enemies too. Remember, an enemy... An enemy is really anyone in your life that highlights your weaknesses. Nobody can do that better than our spouses. Highlight our weaknesses. And we love them, don't we? So you've already got that part accomplished. So outside, when those people annoy you, when those people have sandpaper and difficult, it's possible to love them too. In verse 20, Paul says, This is how you're going to do it. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. He's restating Jesus' commands from the Sermon on the Mount. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken, give your coat too. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. We're called to speak and act kindly to those that are hostile, those that are difficult, and we're asked to do it with sincerity, with genuineness. If you're trying to kill them with kindness, that's a form of payback too. We're called to forgive and forego any repayment. Let God deal with the sins of the person. Because when we try to step in and avenge the wrongs that were done to us, all we're doing is hindering the power of his love. We're saying, God, I don't trust you. Your justice isn't good enough. We're saying, God, your love isn't big enough to cover my hurts. I'll take care of it myself. But remember, God's in the justice business. The same God that delivered Goliath into David's hands also took the life of his newborn son because of his affair with Bathsheba. The same God that performed miracle after miracle in the early church in Acts was the same God who struck down Ananias and Sapphira for lying. See, God sees the big picture. He sees the things that we don't in every situation. And when we try to get back at those that hurt us, we're just getting in God's way. God's patient with you. He's leading every one of us to repentance even though we fail, even though we have flaws. We aren't perfect, and neither are the people that are around us. The gospel helps us keep a sober view of ourselves. We're all lost sinners. Is lost as anyone else on this planet. Whoever annoys us, whoever insults us, hurts us, they're no lower in sin than we are. They're right in the puddle with us. Jesus shows us that the only, will to, the only way to deal with the difficult people, love them. The way we feel about them doesn't matter. The way they treat us doesn't matter. All that matters is our duty to, our responsibility to love and serve them in worship to him. When Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, it wasn't a suggestion. Max Lucado says it like this, Jesus offers unconditional grace. We are to offer unconditional grace. The mercy of Christ preceded our mistakes Our mercy must precede the mistakes of others. Those in the circle of Christ had no doubt about his love. Those in our circles should have no doubt about ours. There was a story back in 2006. Maybe you remember it. There was a man who had walked into an Amish schoolroom, and he shot ten, uh, ten young girls, killing five of them before he turned the gun on himself. But the part of that story that was so incredible was the response of the Amish community. Within hours of this event taking place, members of the Amish community went to the home of the Shooter's family. And they went to offer condolences. They hugged them and cried with them. It goes back to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You can only do that through the Holy Spirit. One of the men that had gone back to the shooter's family, it was a grandfather and his granddaughter had just been killed and three hours later he's with the shooter's family praying with them and apologizing to them for what they were going through. In the days that followed that event, the entire Amish community continued to bring gifts and meals, and groceries, and notes of encouragement to the Shooter's family. At the memorial service for the Shooter, more than half of the attenders were actually from the Amish community. They even donated to a fund to help raise the three children that were left behind from the Shooter's family. When they were asked about their actions, they replied that it was their God-given duty to display the same grace and mercy to others that God had given them. Wow. If we're going to transform the world, we have to learn how to love with sincerity, with affection. Christians today aren't really known for their love, which is kind of ironic since that was the most important commandment that Jesus gave us. But I'll leave you with six steps help you start to love the sandpaper people in your life. Number one, pray for yourself. Look inside your own heart. Ask God to soften your heart, to dispel your anger and your irritability. Put on meekness and kindness to understand where they're at and meet them with compassion. Number two, pray for them ask god to be at work in their hearts ask god to reveal himself to them number 3 move toward them don't move away don't move away from them our first our first reaction is to go the other way jesus didn't do that he went to them and that's what we need to practice to run towards them number 4 find specific ways to bless them and encourage them. Write them a little note. Send them a text. Let them know you're praying for them. Number five, give them grace. Just as God gives it to you, he gives it to me. Remember God's lavish grace that poured out for our sins. Ask God to help you bear with them, forgiving them as he forgave you. And the last one, remember that you might be the difficult person in someone else's life. (laughs) You might not even realize that you're a thorn in someone else's flesh. Don't be oblivious to your own shortcomings. The noblest expression of love is to give it to those that the world says don't deserve it. God conquered evil with the ultimate act of love. And the only way we're going to be able to deal with the difficult people in our lives is to go back to the cross. Sometimes we can do all the right things, and it doesn't change. Same difficult person is still the same difficult person. See, we can't make people love us. We can't make people like us. We can only control how we respond to them. Paul tells us to do all that we can to be at peace. But even Jesus told his disciples, sometimes you're going to have to shake the dust off your feet and move on, leaving them in God's hands. Our responsibility is to love them unconditionally and honoring them and God in the process. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is the greatest force in the universe. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. First Corinthians 14 1 says, Let love be your highest goal. Church, let's let love be our highest goal, let it be our greatest aim, our first priority. We love because He loved us first. As we leave this place tonight, Let's carry with us the love of God. Determined to love our enemies and the difficult people, no matter what it takes. Father, let let your love just compel us, Father. Let your love fill us up. May we leave this place tonight emboldened, encouraged to share your love. Remind us of where we were when you found us, Father. May we offer that grace. May we offer that mercy to each one that we come in contact with, Father. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Even try to love. Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time, it's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us, that you can trust, hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrongs and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me. But because he first loved me. Great message, amen. Do we agree? The love never fails. His love never fails. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up to sing the last song.